age now and the age to come, this present age and the age to come. And we're going to um, focus more tonight on the that which separates these two ages. That's what we're going to be looking at. We've already looked at it briefly uh, in the, the first session as we looked concerning the kingdom of God here, but we'll look... Uh, a little bit more deeply at this this separation. We read here in, in Matthew 12, verse 32, it says, Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall, shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And that word world, again, is the Greek word aeon, and, or aeon, I should say, aeon, and that that word, aeon, means age. And so we have translated world, but it, it really means a period of time. The word world is used here, again, because it is affecting the whole of the world and the world system during the age. The age itself is all-encompassing. And so the age affects everything. So it's, that's the reason the word world is used here. But it is, it is in reference to a period of time, an age. We are now this age, this present age that he's speaking of there in verse 32. In this world, he says, this world is the Gentile age or the age of grace. That's what we're in right now. Uh, this, this age began at the coming of our Lord the first time. During his earthly ministry, that's when this age began. This age last has lasted now for 2,000 years uh, that this particular age is continuing. The, other, the next age that is described there in the world to come, the Lord says there in verse 32, that world to come is the next age that is coming. That age will follow this age. This age will end. That age will begin. You see. However, there's a there's a space there between the ages of events that are going to take place. The age to come, or the world to come, is in reference to eternal ages, and that's what Revelation 21 and 22 are describing for us. At the very end of the book of the Revelation, it's describing that, that age, those eternal ages. Between this age and that age to come, there is a, an interval, there's a space there of events that are going to take place. Okay. So in a sense, you can say that next age has begun because it's all moving into those eternal ages, but really it doesn't begin, the age itself does not begin until the eternal ages begins, okay? And I'll try to make sense out of this as we're going along. Go to, go to uh, Matthew 13. Now here in Matthew 13, these are parables that the Lord is teaching. And there is some, uh, some little bit of, of allegory moral to the story that he's telling in these parables, but all of these parables that he's telling here to those that are listening, to the congregation there, these parables are kingdom parables that he's describing here in Matthew 13. 
So there's something about the parable that he's teaching that is in reference to what the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? And he'll, he'll say that, in fact, throughout those parables. He'll, he'll say the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, and he'll give, he'll give a story with that, that, that parable itself, and, and in the parable give some detail about what those eternal, that age to come, what it's going to be like. And so he gives us some hints. Or, not only what it's going to be like, in some of them he's talking about what it's like now. Okay? Because he's speaking of the, the kingdom of heaven now. As we've already described, the kingdom of heaven is going on right now. It's already in place. It is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus declared that the very day he was uh, under arrest there, standing before Pilate. When Pilate was questioning him about his kingship, he declares to him, my kingdom is not of this world. It, it was already going on then. The kingdom of God was already in place. At that time, he is only approaching it as far as the kingdom was concerned from a spiritual perspective. Now, even still, it being a spiritual kingdom, the Lord was ruling over everything. Okay, he was still in charge of it all. And he is, he is sovereign over all of his creation. So even though he said it was a spiritual kingdom or it wasn't of this earth, he was ruling over the earth even at that time. But there's a difference between it now and what it's going to be yet to come. And in, in that interval between the two ages there, is when his kingdom will become a physical kingdom in which the Lord's going to return to the earth, as Zechariah tells us, as Revelation 19 tells us, as Amos tells us, as Jesus said in John chapter 14, that all these descriptions of his return given to us in the word of God, all the prophecies that speak concerning it in the Old Testament, all of those prophecies declaring his return. When he comes, when he returns again and sets foot down upon the Mount of Olives that Zechariah describes for us, that physical nature of his kingdom will begin. And he will, he will take his throne in Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, and it will be a physical throne that he will take. It will be for a thousand years that that, that kingdom will go in that form. Okay, It'll be a thousand year reign in that physical form as it is there on the earth as we know it today. Okay, There's going to be some changes outwardly, but there's not going to be the big change until that thousand years is finished. There's going to be some changes that are made during his reign uh, during that thousand years. Revelation 20 tells us there in those first seven verses six times it describes that thousand year period. Thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. He describes that. He tells us what's going to happen uh, in, those, in that thousand year period. And so that's when the kingdom will have a, a physical reality during that thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Judgments will be brought, as Revelation 20 declares to us. The second death, the judgment of Satan, 
Those events will take place there at the end of chapter, uh, at the end of the millennial reign. There in chapter 20 he's describing that. And thus begins the eternal ages. And it is in the eternal ages that is, is being described there in chapter 12, the world to come. That's those eternal ages. And so there's that, there's that little bit of space there. It's a thousand seven year space, but it's a little bit of space there between the end of this age and the beginning of the next one, the, the world to come. And so this, this is what's described for us as John gives us these details of this, these events in the book of the Revelation. It's the reason, part of the reason it's called the Revelation is because he is revealing these things about our Lord, about our Lord's kingdom, about his return that were not told to us in the Old Testament. They were, they were hinted to in the Old Testament and they were told about in the Old Testament but it was all lumped together in one thing. It was, it was kind of made to look or made to appear as one event. And we didn't see any kind of time space in it. We didn't have any idea about the length of time that it would be. John is the one that gives us an understanding. Well, Daniel gives us some, some of the understanding of the particular days and so on that goes on in, in that interval period. But, but John is the one that gives us the most details about the length of time that this is going to be going on. Okay, Here in chapter 13 of Matthew, we read here in verse number 27, as the Lord speaks here concerning these things concerning the kingdom, um, he gives us some details. Throughout this age, good and evil live side by side. And that's one of the details he gives us here in this particular, in this particular uh, parable. Notice in verse uh, 27 of chapter 13, he says, So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so he describes there that in this age that we are living in now, the, the, the wheat and the tares are in the same field. They're living side by side. The wheat is representative of his people. It is representative of, of, of his seed that has grown. And the tares are representative of those that were those sown in among his people, those sown in among the wheat that are enemies to the wheat. That will, that will try to overtake the wheat. And if you've ever looked at a wheat field before, uh, when it gets about this high, it is easy to spot the tares. I mean, they, they stand out. They are bright green where the rest of the wheat is almost ready to harvest. And it's, it's dried down. It's, it's drying. It's turning brown. Those tares, they're bright green. Standing up there among the, they're easy to see. They're easy to pick out. 
they're seeing them when they're young. And I've never looked close enough to see if I could find them when they were young. And they're saying, well, let us go pluck them up now. He says, no, don't, don't go to that. You go pluck them up now, you might pluck up the wheat. Don't go out there while it's young. Don't go out there and try to pluck it up now. We'll take care of it when the time comes. When it's time to harvest, then we'll go in and get them. Then we can go and pull them up easy. We'll be able to see them. We'll go out there and pull those up. We'll get those out of the field. We'll lay them aside. We'll burn them. Then we'll harvest the rest and put it in the barn. So the description is, is that in this age now, you have the, 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 those of God's people mixed with the wicked of this world, and we're side by side. We're, we're all in the same field, if you will. That's the description that's given there. In fact, he goes on to say, uh, that's the way it is now, but when this age ends, then will come this judgment that he describes there in the burning of those. Look over at verse 39. Verse number 39 through verse number 43. He says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world, or end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Out of his kingdom, all that is evil, all that is sinful, all that do iniquity will be gathered and taken out of his kingdom and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear, he says. And so this... This, this judgment will come at the end of the age. And so this is what we're, we're talking about. This age will end with these judgments that he's describing here. And, and of course, John is the one that gives us the most detail concerning those judgments. But in this age that we live in now, there is death uh, in the kingdom of God, uh, in this age, rather, there's death. In the kingdom of God, there is only eternal life. Uh, in this age, the righteous and wicked are mixed together, as we see. In the kingdom of God, all wickedness and sin will be destroyed, removed from the kingdom. Uh, Satan uh, is viewed as the God of this age, but in the age to come, God's kingdom and God's rule will have destroyed Satan, uh, and righteousness will displace all evil. It'll be an absolutely righteous kingdom, holy kingdom that God has established. Um, so the transition from this age to the age to come is, is separated by these judgments that are described for us. Now, it's been seen that God's redemptive plan is going to be consummated at the return of Christ when the final ages to come is going to be ushered in. And the book of the Revelation modifies this somewhat as it gives us the, stretches it out, gives us the details 
concerning how this is all going to unfold. After the return of Christ, go over to Revelation 19 and look with me at these, these verses. Revelation 19, verse number 11, down through verse number 16, Paul, or I'm sorry, John, rather, describes here for us this return of Christ to take his kingdom. Revelation 19, verse number 11. Verses 1 down through verse number 10, he's describing these events that are taking place in heaven just before he returns. And so there's there's a, a, a party, there's a marriage supper that goes on in the heavenlies just before his return. And then once that is accomplished, once that is done, he's going to return. While this is going on, it's being described there in chapter 5, as well as what's being described here in chapter 19, while this is going on, there is a seven-year tribulation period that's going on on the earth. And that's, that is called different things in different places of the Scripture. Daniel calls it the abomination of desolation. Jesus called it Jacob's trouble. It is a seven-year period when, when Israel is the focus of, of God's wrath and judgment being poured out on the earth. That's not the full wrath by no means. But he's going to be judging the world during that seven-year period. Just before that seven-year period, there is the rapture of the saints that Paul talks about in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 14. There is the rapture of the saints in which we are raptured uh, to be caught up together with the Lord, to meet him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're never going to part this side again. We're always going to be with him. In fact, we read here in chapter 19, when he returns, we're returning with him. In the rapture of the saints, in the catching away of his people, the Lord does not set foot upon the earth. He stays in the clouds, calls us up to him. That is the first part of the first resurrection. Jesus being the first fruits of that resurrection and those that were resurrected with him, those are the first fruits of the resurrection. This is the second part of the resurrection. There's actually a third part of this resurrection that takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. So there's three stages to the first resurrection. That is the resurrection unto life. Revelation 20 talks about the resurrection unto death. This resurrection is not really a resurrection at all. It's those that are dead uh, without Christ are brought up from uh, their holding place of hell. They are brought up to receive their final judgment and they are cast back into their final judgment. There's not a glorified body given them or anything like what we receive in our resurrection. So it's, it's not a resurrection unto life, but it is a resurrection unto death, as, as the scripture says here. And so here in chapter 19, look with me, beginning in verse 11. As he describes this time, what's being described for us here in chapter 19 is Jesus will come back, actually set foot upon the earth. The book of Zechariah says he'll, he'll come down, first of all, upon the Mount of Olives. His feet will set down there first. And there, setting his feet down upon the Mount of Olives, Zechariah says the mountain is going to split in twain. 
when he stands there upon it. And so this, this is going to be quite significant when he comes in this form. This is, in, this is him coming in power and great glory. Okay. Now notice what, notice what it says here concerning verse 11. John says, I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and, in true, and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John has already declared to us in John chapter 1, in the Gospel of John, that's Jesus', that's, Jesus. that's who he is. He is the Word of God. Here he declares him again. His, word, his name, rather, is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That is going to be us. Because he already told us there in the first part of the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and 6 there, as he's describing these events that are going on in heaven, or chapter 4, rather, chapter 4 and 5, rather, as he's describing those events that are going on in heaven while the tribulation is going on on the earth, he describes those in heaven that receive that, that clothing of white, fine linen are the saints. That's, that's God's people that are saved by His grace. That is the clothing we receive in heaven. And so here he describes us coming with Him when He returns dressed in that fine white linen coming with him to take his throne when he comes to the earth to take his physical throne in Jerusalem. Verse, uh, again, verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That sharp sword is a description of the Word of God that's coming out. Paul tells us, calls it that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. That's the exact same description Paul gives us concerning the, the Word of God. This is that sharp sword that comes out of the mouth of the Lord when he comes, it will be the word of God. As he declares his word, his enemies will be destroyed before him there. Verse number 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so this, when he comes in, this is his return. And before the age to come, before it takes place, which is described for us beginning in chapter 22. I won't read, or I'm sorry, chapter 21. Chapter 21. On through to chapter 22. I'm not going to read the whole passage because that's a long passage, but go home and read, read that from chapter 21, verse 1, down to at least chapter 22 and verse number 5. And you'll see this description of the age to come. That's the eternal ages as we are ushered in to the eternal ages, this is what it's going to, these are the things we're going to see, okay, that John is, is writing for us here. Notice just a few of these verses, beginning in verse 1. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, 
Now Peter gives us some direction concerning that. What's going to happen to this first earth? The first earth, the earth that we're on right now, he's going to burn it up. But it's still going to be the earth. He's going to burn up the surface of it. He's going to, Peter said he will melt the elements with fervent heat. And so he's going to melt the surface of the earth and recreate it. So it, that's, that's what's going to take place. That's the passing away of this first earth that he's descriptive, describing here. And so a new earth is made. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Why is it necessary for the first heaven and the first earth to pass away? Sin. Exactly. Sin entered into both of them. Satan in his rebellion against God brought sin into heaven, and that, that rebellion against God tainted that place. And then him bringing his rebellion to the earth and Adam and Eve's sin there in the garden brought sin on the earth. And so both heaven and the earth, the old heaven and the old earth, that which we have right now is tainted by sin. And so it's going to be, sin is going to be eradicated in this transformation that the Lord is bringing to pass in the eternal ages. It's going to be totally eradicated. There will be no more sin. It's going to be gone at this point. This is after the thousand-year reign of Christ. This is the beginning of the eternal ages. I kind of skipped over the, the, the millennial reign right now. We'll get back to it if we've got time. We'll get back to it. But he's, he's, he's describing now what this is going to look like coming into the eternal ages. He says, I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. 
And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And is and is he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. That is roughly fifteen hundred miles by fifteen hundred miles by fifteen hundred miles. This city is in it, the way he describes it as a cube. Whether it's a cube or just the height of it in general. It's 1,500 miles high, it's 1,500 miles long, it's 1,500 miles wide, and it is gold, jasper, precious stone. I mean, the, the beauty of that is, is unimaginable to me. Gates of pearl, he goes on to describe here. Each one of those gates, a solid, not pearls strung together, a solid pearl, each one of those gates. Can you imagine the oyster that they came out of? <laughs> Twelve pearls there. Just the beauty of that city. He goes on to describe the, the river of life that fro flows out of the, uh, out of the uh, uh, throne of God there. He describes the tree of life that grows all along the side of the river of life there and, and the, the 12 manner of fruit that are upon it as it bears uh, those those twelve fruits. Uh, Brother uh, Bobby Green said we were talking about it the other day, uh, last Saturday at the fellowship meeting, and he said my favorite fruit is a tomato. And he said I'm telling you what I think. He said I believe those twelve fruits. One of them is going to be a major. He said. <laughs> I don't know what those twelve fruits are going to be, but there's going to be twelve manner of fruit. Uh, I've got my ideas what I think it is. But I, those 12 manner of fruit that are going to be growing there on, on the tree of life. So he describes a beautiful scene there of all that's, that's going to be there. But the reality is those things are, are so much secondary. So much secondary. We see that. We read these things and think, my goodness, man, what a beautiful thing. But the beauty of this place is not all of this. The beauty of the place will be the fact that our Lord is there. That we will be physically in His presence, in His glory, in the fullness of His glory, right there with Him during those. That's, that's going to be the beauty of that place. There will be no need for a son, the Bible says, because He will light the place up from His glory. I mean, that's... It's unimaginable, the beauty of our Lord, as we consider just the beauty of the city that he described. Now, this is, this is just entering into the eternal ages. We're going to find out all about the rest of it in eternity as we live it, as we go through it. But John's just given a glimpse of what it looks like, this world to come, this age to come. He's just given a glimpse of it there in chapter number 21 and beginning of chapter number 22. Now, in chapter 20, go back there and look with me, verse number 1. The interval between the two 
the age now and the age to come is that particularly that thousand year reign of Christ Jesus on the earth, on this earth, not the new earth. The new earth is coming in chapter 21. He's going to reign physically on this old earth too. And it's going to be for a thousand years. Now, that thousand year period, again, as I've said over and over again, that's not going to be, that's not marking the end of his reign. He's going to continue to reign. Okay? It's just at the end of that thousand year period are these events that he describes in chapter 20. These judgments that are going to take place, the recreation of the earth, the heavens done away, the old heaven done away, new heaven made, all of those events are going to take place at the end of that millennial reign. So that the thousand years is only marked off in order for all these events to take place. When those events take place, we go on into the eternal ages. Jesus is still reigning. Okay, he's, It's still his kingdom. He's still reigning. The thousand years are just marked off for these judgments to take place. And that's what's being described here in chapter 20. Notice verse number 1. He said, I saw an angel come down from heaven. Now at the end of chapter 19, he describes the battle of Armageddon that takes place at his return there in chapter 19. That's at the end of the seven-year millennial reign, or the seven-year tribulation period, excuse me. Seven-year tribulation period, it ends with this battle or war of Armageddon. The Lord's going to end that battle with the sword out of his mouth. He's going to defeat the armies that have come against Israel at that point. That's what Daniel is talking about as well. He describes these, some of these events as well as these armies will come to, to uh, try to destroy Israel. Uh, at the, at the end of that battle, the Antichrist and the false prophet that we see these two prevalent characters throughout the seven-year period, they are going to be judged at that time. They're actually going to receive their final judgment then. They are cast into the lake of fire burning with brimstones. It tells us there in verse number 20 right then, before Satan is. Now, I, I, I just, I've always wondered about that. These guys, these two, these two men are going to be cast into their eternal judgment before their master. Uh, his, his is yet delayed a little while, and that's what's described for us in chapter number 20. At the beginning of the Lord's millennial reign, this is what takes place. He said, I saw an angel, verse 1 of chapter 20, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So he binds Satan. Now there are those that try to put these events as have already happened. There are those that try to put these events as something of the past. There are those that try to put these events as allegorical, that they don't really, they're not really going to happen. It's just, this is just poetic language that John is using. Well, the Bible tells us very clearly that in this age, Satan is roaming around the earth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is, we see example after example after example of his ability to cause trouble and to cause those temptations in this world now. Okay, So he's definitely not bound right now. Definitely not bound. 
there's a binding coming to him, and that will begin at the beginning of the millennial reign. He's going to be bound with a great chain. He's going to be put in a bottomless pit. And an angel is the one that's going to bind him and put him in there for that thousand-year period. Uh, verse 3 goes on to describe that. Cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. So he's going to be shut up for those thousand years, but then after that thousand year period is done, after the millennial reign is finished, he's going to be loosed, he says, a little season. And he goes on to describe for us what he's going to do in that little season there. Notice verse 4, he says, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5, he says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And so the rest of the dead are those that are described of the second resurrection which is the resurrection unto death. That's described here at the end of chapter 20. This first resurrection ends with the resurrection of these saints that were killed during the tribulation period. So this is their resurrection being described at the beginning of the millennial reign. Okay? It says verse number 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on which the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So what's going to happen during the, the millennial reign is when it begins, it is only the righteous that are coming into the kingdom during that thousand year period. But life goes on as normal during that thousand year period. Those that enter the kingdom will live for that full thousand years. There's no more. There's no death during that time. And so they're going to live for that full thousand years. They're going to have access to the tree of life during that period so that the tree of life, whatever it does, it's going to keep them alive for that full thousand years. Okay. So those that are physically living, when the millennial reign begins, they will continue living during that millennial reign on the earth. Now, they will continue to get married. They'll continue to have children. They'll continue to propagate the species while that thousand-year reign is going on. And so there's going to be people born during that thousand-year period. And though there will be many that will be born during that thousand-year period, sin is still there in this world. It's still going to be here because this is still this old sinful world even though Christ is reigning, even though Satan will be bound, 
that, that rebellion is still going to rise up in these that will be born during that thousand year period of time. And so as those people grow and they begin to turn away from the Lord, they'll be, be, uh, begin to rebel against him. The scripture describes for us those that will rebel against him, they'll be cast out of the city and they will not have a place to come to worship or to come into the presence of the Lord. Those people go to the outskirts of the world and they are hidden during those thousand years. Everything else, though, with the kingdom going on great. Everything's going good. Righteousness is, is reigning. There's good things happening on the earth at that point. But there are going to be those that will rebel against Christ and they'll be hiding out in the far reaches of the earth. When Satan is loose from his prison, he's going to go find all of them. And of them, he's going to bring them as an army to fight against the Lord. He's going to try it again. You think he would learn. But he's going to try it again. He's going to come and try to fight against the Lord. This time, God will rain fire out of heaven and destroy that army. And this begins these judgments that are described for us here in chapter number 20. The devil that deceived them, verse number 10, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so Satan receives finally his judgment and he is cast into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and with the false prophet. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. When he, when he seats upon that throne... In the fullness of his glory, no sin can stand in his presence. That even the earth and heaven will fly away from his presence. I mean, this is some tense stuff here that's being described. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so all those that died without Christ, they are judged according to their works and judged according to their works, they receive their death sentence. And it is an eternal sentence of damnation separated from God in that lake of fire as is described there in chapter 20. So this this ends, at this point, this ends this age, if you will. It ends, it's, well, it's, it's over with at his coming to rapture us. It's just this interval period. It ends this interval period and thus begins in chapter 21, begins the eternal ages that John gives us a glimpse of the world or the age to come. 
That's what is being described in chapter 21. And so these are the events of the millennial reign. Now, man will never experience the full blessings of God's kingdom in this age. It is in the age to come when we'll experience the fullness of that because sin will be eradicated. Death will be no more. No more sickness, no more pain. All things made new. It's there that we receive the fullness of the blessings of God's kingdom. And people who fix their hope on a kingdom during this age, they're going to be disillusioned. And this is what happened with the disciples during Jesus' time on the earth as he was teaching them. They were always expecting him to start. Okay, when your kingdom going to start? When are you going to conquer Rome? When are you going to kick them out? When are you going to take your throne? They, they were constantly wondering and asking those questions because he was the Messiah. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And that was legitimate questions that they had. They, they didn't have the fullness of the understanding. And the Lord kept telling them, it's not, that's not what's going to happen just yet. That's not what's going to take place right now. I've got other things I've got to take care of. And that was to die for us. That's what he had to take care of. But he, he was, they constantly were expecting him to do that then. And there are those that still, even in our day, thinking that we're in the fullness of his kingdom now. They think Satan is bound. They think we're in the fullness of God's kingdom now. And, and when Jesus comes, it's just going to be we're moving on to their eternal ages, and that's just it. And so we're, we've never experienced the fullness of God's kingdom that he's describing for us here. We've not, we've not ever, what takes place during the millennial reign, we've never experienced those things. Those things are yet to come. Those are the things that will take place during that thousand year reign as is described there in Revelation 20. This age is still full of sin. This age is still full of suffering. Uh, it is only in that new age when those things are all done away with, you see. And so the kingdom of God will never fully be realized until we enter into these eternal ages. That's when we will that's when we'll see the fullness of it. There's there's always going to be that even during the millennial reign, there's still going to be that hint of sin that's going to be around. There's going to be because there are those that will be cast out. There'll be those that will be will be exiled from New Jerusalem. They're not going to be allowed an entrance there because of their sin. And so there's going to be that, that those that always going to be, even during that time, as great as that time will be, there's still always going to be that hint of sin. But it is in the eternal ages. It's in the eternal ages when we will see the absolute fullness absolute fullness of God's righteousness and his holiness as we live in his presence. All things, all things made new. All right, let's all stand. We'll be dismissed.